for the One Foot Down podcast, episode number 18. This is Eric Murtaugh back as your host. This is our BYU review after the bye week. Uh, we took a week off, uh, resettled our thoughts. The Irish come away with a 23-13 victory over the Cougars, uh, their second straight win over BYU inside Notre Dame Stadium, and their fourth straight senior day victory. On the podcast today with me is Paul Workney. Paul, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, having me. Really excited to talk about uh, Irish victory. Yeah, this is a pretty big win. Um, we kind of thought that the team had its back against the wall um, with Stanford coming up this next weekend here. And, um, you know, Brian Kelly's team seemed to stand up and play well in, uh, in games like this. Um, what were some of your overall thoughts of the, the game on Saturday? There were a couple. Um, the the first one that sort of stands out to me is, uh, as I put in my instant reaction, the next man in mantra. When you look at the contributions that the offense and defensive players put together yesterday, you can't. It goes without pointing out that a lot of these guys weren't even in the two deep at the beginning of the year. When you look at the performances of players like Elliot Hardy. Jerron Jones. I mean, Jerron Jones. We, we thought we were we were in a lot of trouble with Lewis Nix going out for the year, and Kona being down with his injury. You've got you're talking a third string nose tackle, a guy who's going to be pretty green going in there, and played really lights out, really well. Uh, I was also very impressed, like I mentioned before, Elliot Hardy's play. You're you're talking eight total tackles, four on his own, uh, just. Very, very, very impressive. Uh, other takeaways, I think our linebackers played really well. When you talk about that, our linebacker, our linebacker play, for most part during the course of the season, has been one of our weak points next to safety, which goes without mentioning, that players like Dan Fox and Carlo Calabrese had really good senior games. And I, th I think you kudos to them for really stepping up and going out on top with a win. Uh, Dan Fox, two tackles for a loss, nine total tackles, a sack, one of the defensive players of the game. Offensively, uh, look... Run the ball, Kelly. Uh, when, when you got when you when you got you know Cam McDaniel going for a buck twenty three, Tarian Folson averaging six yards on the ground. Obviously, you're doing something really well. I think it also consistency on the offensive line is has been is one of my takeaways. Also, when you've got guys like Haggerty and Hanratty who are replacing veterans, uh, e even in the course of the game when Nick Martin went down. And they're still performing at the level at a, at a top level, giving Rees forever to throw, opening up holes for our running backs. Uh, it, it's not just the running backs who are, who are creating these yards. A lot of credit goes with the offensive line. So it really was a team victory to me. Almost everything, almost everything that we did wrong against Pittsburgh, we really corrected and and put together uh, a well against BYU. You know, when Kelly, after the game, was asked by Alex Flanagan what their focus was, and he said the focus was on mistake-free football, it really was, to a degree, very mistake-free. There were only a handful of mistakes that I could really point out. But, you know, swirling winds, snow, 
and your kicker's making 50-yard field goals, obviously something's do, going really well for you if that's the case. So I was very impressed with the victory. Uh, in fact, I actually may say it was one of the more impressive victories of the year because we were talking at the beginning of the year in our podcast, uh, or I think all of us were mentioning that this was a game where we could easily see us losing. Uh, and especially after the Pittsburgh game, I was really concerned about this game. And based on the way we looked, uh, based on the way the team uh, performed, uh, you can't help but be impressed. So it was a very impressive game for me. Uh, I, I, a lot of the takeaways were just simply putting a good game plan together and executing uh, on both sets of the line and, and on special teams, which has really come to bite us, and we really did a great job at that on Saturday. All right, let's take a look at some of the position on the field, uh, we'll start with Tommy Reese and his day. He finishes 15 of 28 with a touchdown and a pick, 235 yards, um, a long of 61, which I think was the one to uh, Devaris Daniels in the first series on that touchdown play. What did you think of Tommy's uh, last home game? It really was Tommy Reese in a nutshell, wasn't it? I mean, we yep. saw just an excellent throw to Daniels, throwing back shoulder, um, didn't really lead him, but let's be serious, Tommy is not really a quarterback that has really led his receivers really well, but he did put it in a position where pretty much only Daniels could get it. Uh, he's made He made a couple really, really nice passes to TJ Jones. Uh, one of them, Jones actually was interfered with too and still made the catch just as equally as impressive. One of his top passes of the game, just wouldn't have thought it, but that slant... Uh, or skinny post to Corey Robinson late in the yeah. second half. I, I think that may have actually been almost a ni almost as nice, if not nicer, than uh, his touchdown pass to Daniels. Put together a really good first-half game. But then in the second half, he sort of trailed off, and we sort of saw the other side of Tommy, the Tommy know that everyone has come to, uh, to a degree appreciate uh, with regards to his performance, he was high on a couple throws, uh, struggled to throw on the run through a, a, a pretty bad pick uh, because he really didn't look off the safety. And uh, But even then, if you're going to look at his stat line, uh, it, 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 it was just enough. He managed the game pretty well. Uh, he, he didn't do any more than what was asked of him. And when you've got a running game uh, that really was supplementing what he was doing in the passing game, uh, I, I'm not that uh, disappointed with his performance. It's pretty much about what I expected. And what did you think on the interception to Nicholas? I thought, and I know he doesn't have the strongest arm, that he should have thrown that ball maybe two seconds earlier and fired it in there um, down the sidelines. Hopefully Nicholas could have caught it about the five to six yard line and walked in. Um, but I don't think he quite has the arm to make that throw. I think Golson would probably try that pass, but uh, you think he should have gone high and deep into the corner of the end zone on that throw? I'm uh, with you uh, in that he should have threw, thrown it earlier, and if you remember, it was, I believe, the second time that he had done that. If there, were, I'm pretty sure the wheel route to Cam McDaniel was before that one where McDaniel came out of the backfield, was basically wide open, and Reeves threw it really late, and McDaniel was, in, was basically being covered, and he still almost made the, made the catch in the end zone. And there was just two instances where I think 
based on the progressions that Reeves really should have checked those first because had he thrown it to Nicholas and Nicholas caught it at the five, even with the safety bearing down on him, you're right, he, he would have pretty much walked into the end zone. Uh, it, it's, it's a vision thing, and I, I'm not entirely sure if that's how the play was designed, that he was supposed to throw it late. I don't think he was. Um, I'm not entirely sure if those were the primary routes, uh, especially on Nicholas's uh, interception. He also had DeVarce Daniels to the post open, too. He was behind the safety. But, uh, again, we're, we're talking about you know vision of the field and what was going on. So it's very hard to say. I, I'm pretty much along the same lines as you, though, that he really should have gotten that ball out earlier, especially against a BYU team that was playing pretty open zone and we were able to thread a lot of passes uh, into pockets that they were leaving open for us so yeah I'm going to pretty much agree with you on that that he should have gotten rid of it earlier what'd you think of uh, Taysom Hill on the other side of the ball for BYU Um, talked a lot about him throughout the week and how much of a playmaker he was for BYU he carries the ball 24 times for uh, 101 yards he also threw the ball 36 times. Um, we were speaking before we went on air about how it didn't seem like BYU was throwing the ball that much. What did you think of his performance and how that impacted the game? Well, when you when you look at it, any time a quarterback rushes for 101 yards, he's either you know Denard Robinson or or you know some type of athlete that you've got back there at quarterback. And Hill really did show that that sort of athlete. Uh, style um, dual threat quarterback back there. He did have trouble throwing the ball. I also like you like we were talking about off air. Twelve first downs passing. Is that is that what you had said? I mean, yeah, it's pretty amazing that they had that many through the air. I I wouldn't have even guessed half that. So it was it, very surprising, especially when you look at his stat line. I mean, overall. It, it just in terms of you know 168 yards passing on 21. Uh, 21 to 36. Yeah, the one pick was uh, uh, it was the Hill Mary right at the end of the half. So I'm I'm not really, you know, I'm I'm not gonna fault him for that. He he, he played decently well. Uh, obviously didn't play well enough. Any any time with our safety play that you're only getting you know 168 yards passing, it 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 points out to me that uh, Bob Diaco really put a game plan that was keeping everything in front of our safeties, which is pretty much what we've come to expect. Uh, also, their ground game was working decently well. Um, 262 yards on the ground. Uh, a full a Paul Lasique's stat line just still bothers me, but we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, 115 yards on the ground from a quarterback when he's at, at an average of 4.2 it's nothing to shake your head at, but again, you know, it goes without mentioning that this is a quarterback that rushed, and you look at his stat line, say, BYU has really hung their hat on their victory over Texas earlier in the year, and if you look at Taysom Hill's stat line in that game, his passing was absolutely abysmal. He was 9 of 26 for 129 yards. That's bad. That, 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 is, hmm. that is a, that, and he also threw in an interception. That's not a good stat line. But he rushed for 259 yards and three touchdowns. 
So he was obviously getting the work done with his legs, and he tried to do it, and the stat line shows that he was trying to do it against the Irish, and whether it was good defensive play or we were getting a little help from our, our the field out there, uh, it, it obviously wasn't enough. All right, let's talk about the running backs. Um, the Irish mostly stuck with two players in this game. Cam McDaniel led the way with 24 carries, 117 yards, a 4.9 average. Um, Terrian Folston um, gets 13 carries, which I think is his second most in a single game this year. He finishes with 78 yards and the only touchdown on the ground. Atkinson chipped in uh, six carries for 42 yards, continuing his sneaky good season. I don't know how he averaged seven yards a carry. I wouldn't have guessed that. And uh, TJ Jones had another run uh, as well. Uh, what do you think of the running backs and the overall running game? Uh, just to start right at the beginning, I'm really glad that Terry and Folston was the starter. I, I think that the not putting the the pit game um, on on any of the running backs, I think, was good because you when you've got a running back like Folson that played as well as he did against Navy, you've got to keep feeding the beast. So I'm really glad that he was the starter because when your first carry, and, and it goes without saying that Folston's first carry was a, an 11-yard run, obviously you're making the right decisions. He had a 43-yard run. That's a career long by him. And I, like you said, um, and, I, and, and it was sort of mentioned by our... Uh, the the NBC broadcast crew Mayock and Hicks that based on the conditions of the field based on the weather conditions that we were probably going to see a lot of Cam McDaniel I think we all expected to see a lot of Cam McDaniel uh, this game and you know a net of 117 uh, on the ground just very 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 impressive uh, it, when when you've got an offensive line that is doing their job. Uh, protecting the quarterback, and you've got running backs that are not creating space, but building on the space that the offensive line is creating for them, uh, you, you're going to have some success running the football. You're going to have a lot of success running the football. And again, it goes without mentioning that if you're looking at the notes uh, and you're looking at the statistics, that any time that the Irish have had the running success that they've had uh, like they did yesterday on Saturday, you're going to do really well. Uh, again, you know, in, in the post-game notes, the Irish are 29-2 and in their last 31 games when gaining 200 yards rushing. And it's it just goes to show you that you know running the football really builds uh, builds to offensive success. I thought our running backs played very well. Um, I, I, I there were a couple of the uh, the swing pass plays that we still had trouble with. Um, it's obviously something we're going to have to work on. But I think both of those swing pass plays that we tried, both of them I think went to Jones, and they didn't work. But you know you're talking about a, a a pretty stable and a, a pretty consistent workload uh, from our running backs that that really built on the, the built on the success we had offensively and and really was one of the core reasons why we were able to sustain our lead, uh, build on it in some cases, and really control the time of possession uh, eventually, which led to our victory. 
Now, before the season, I think a lot of people didn't really believe that Cam McDaniel would be a serious threat at running back, maybe third string, fourth string, someone would come in late in the games to seal victories. Um, barring some major carries that is pretty much impossible, Cam McDaniel is going to lead this team in rushing attempts for the 2013 season. How surprising do you find that? Very, uh, especially when you looked at the fact that we had two uh, very highly rated freshmen coming in. You had a returning, essentially a returning platoon member in, in George Atkinson, who I think would have been the, the house favorite to lead in yards and carries. And you also had Amir Carlisle coming back uh, from injury, mind you, but he did had sat out a year. He was very highly rated, had performed pretty admirably uh, at USC. And it, you really didn't see that room or space for McDaniel. But he really acquitted himself well. I, I, Lars has really said on the boards, he's had in the podcast, that he has kind of filled that role that Theo Riddick left open, that sort of north-south runner, uh, the sort of bruiser back that we really weren't, uh, really didn't have. Uh, when you're looking at somebody like George Atkinson, who's a breakaway guy, Amir Carlisle's a breakaway guy, Torian Fulston, to a degree, is a breakaway guy. I think he's he, he looks out there uh, to me uh, like he could definitely put on more muscle and become that bruising back. But when you're talking about the need at this moment for a north-south runner to get get you those three or four yards when you need to get those three or four yards, McDaniel really has filled that role. It's very surprising to me because I really didn't expect um, or, or envision him filling that spot. I thought he was going to probably end up in the slot trying to fill some sort of slot receiver role. Uh, or even be sort of a special teams returner, but he really has performed uh, very well. I think yesterday's game uh, w was testament to that. When you've got a running back that is going to get you the yards on the ground that he's going to get you, uh, and he's averaging five yards a carry, it's it's going to to spell success. It's going to spell success not just for the individual player, but it's going to spell success for the offense. So yeah, it is surprising to me, but... Uh, it's not like uh, the stats don't justify um, his use. So uh, individually, uh, it, it, is, it is extremely surprising, but it also is good to, to note that we are going to be able to build even stronger on this next year with more players coming in. The spring practices probably aren't going to be too crazy. Um but I think the fall, next fall practices are going to be really interesting to see. Um, you could have as many as six running backs vying for playing time, um, assuming no one leaves early, which I don't think is a threat for anybody, and there are no transfers, and that doesn't even include any possible freshmen that could sign in February. Um, let's take a look at the wide receivers. Um, pretty typical performance, I think, for the 2013 offense. Um, they rely mostly on just two targets. Uh, DeVaris Daniels finishes with six catches, 107 yards, and a lone touchdown. T.J. Jones um, does his usual thing, five catches for 95 yards. Uh, we mentioned Corey Robinson caught that 17-yard clutch third down slant pass. Um, Troy Nicholas only one catch, which is a bit surprising, and both Fulston and McDaniel caught um, a pass each, which probably doubles the running back catches this year. Um, 
What'd you think of the, the wide receivers? Initially, I was a little concerned uh, when I when I was looking at it, and I saw that Nicholas only had that one catch. I think he had maybe three or four targets during the game. But when you're playing a team that plays um, BYU sort of 33 uh, style defense, that you're not really going to find a lot of spots for the tight end, uh, especially in the short game. It's really really on the on the wings where you're going to find those spots. So. Not really that concerned. Uh, I do want to give uh, props to TJ Jones. Uh, Jones uh, really uh, had a, a, a very nice senior game. I would have liked to see him get into the end zone, but you, know, you, you can do you, you can only do what you can do. Uh, I thought he had some really nice catches out there. Uh, I also think that uh, it, it, it just worth mentioning that he's now the third. Uh, Essentially, the the number three uh, career overall receiver uh, for the Irish with regards to uh, reception count. I believe he's tied with Rima McKnight. Uh, I I read that uh, that he ended up matching Rima McKnight's uh, reception total yesterday. So you know, very very good uh, on him. Uh, it, it, a great great day by him. Even had a, a carry three yards, but still show, kind of showed his versatility back there. Uh, Daniels, second overall 100-yard receiving game. I thought he played very well. Um, again, worth noting, though, that you're not going to see a lot of production uh, from our wide receivers ba on that stat line simply because we ran the ball so many times. Uh, Reed's 15 of 28, so we're talking 15 completions, 28 attempts, and we ran the ball effectively 47 times if you take away Reese's kneeling the ball. So uh, it, w when, you, when you're really focusing on that run uh, component of your offense, you're not going to see a lot of production out of your wide receivers, but the production we did see I thought was really well. I think it also goes to mention that we were kind of concerned uh, about the sort of blocking wide receiver role that was... Uh, the void that was created with Daniel Smith going out. And I thought Corey Robinson played very well in that realm yesterday. I, actually, I want to give some credit to Amir Carlisle. I saw him out there a couple times blocking for our running game. Did a pretty good job. So sometimes you're not going to see the production in the stat line. You're, you're going to have to sort of see it for yourself. So overall with our receivers, I think given the uh, quantity that they had, uh, they did produce uh, very well in my mind. Now here's a pretty crazy stat that I just looked up. TJ Jones, and this kind of puts into mind what a great season he's having. He only needs 161 more receiving yards to tie um, Michael Floyd's senior year receiving total. Uh, TJ's only 14 yards away from 1,000, so I think he has a pretty good shot to uh, surpass Floyd's effort from a couple years ago. Isn't that pretty crazy? No doubt, and it's especially when you've got uh, the the just the sheer amount of wide receivers that we've got. Uh, when you when you look at sort of Floyd's production, his senior year it really was the Michael Floyd show. I mean, Joe, T.J. Jones did play. Uh, we had a couple other wide receivers out there like John Goodman, but you really didn't see um, the the sheer amount of quality wide receivers that you saw in a season like this year. So 
that it, it, it's even more impressive to me in that in that realm because you've got a receiver, a large possession receiver like Devaris Daniels that really can get over the top that when you've got a receiver like TJ Jones that's putting up that stat line, that's pretty amazing to me. Talking about the tight ends here, I'm going to throw a question at you here. Um, I kind of have this feeling that Troy Nicholas is going to leave for the NFL after this year. Do you think that's crazy? I think that's crazy, but I, I'm, I have that sneaking suspicion. Yes and no. I, I think I, for sure, if I were him, I would put in for a. Um, I would definitely put in for a, dra a draft grade if I were him, especially when you look at. Uh, his overall production over the course of the season, his size. But I think a lot of NFL teams are going to sort of still see him as a raw talent. Uh, he's gotten and did suffer yesterday from a couple of kind of ugly holds uh, based on you know his size and sort of engaging the edge rusher that I think he, NFL teams could see and could potentially take advantage of. And it's really one of those things where he's sort of in that same boat that Tyler Eifert was do I come back for another year? Do I leave now? And Eifert made the decision to come back, and it worked out for him into a first-round grade. And I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but um, I, I, I could easily see him at least putting in for a, a draft grade to see what round he would score at. Offensive line, I thought this was probably their best game of the season overall, especially considering some of the injuries. Uh, Nick Martin went down, I think, right around the middle part of the game. Uh, Brian Kelly mentioned today, we're taping this on Sunday, he t mentioned it today that uh, Nick's done for the season with a pretty serious injury. Um, so let's hope that he can get healthy for uh, next season and doesn't miss any games next year. Um, so the line was Martin, Watt, Haggerty, who came in at center, and I believe Hanready and Elmer were splitting time at right guard with Stanley at right tackle. What you think of the uh, offensive line, Paul? Did you think this is probably their best game of the season? Absolutely. I think the running stats alone sort of prove that point, especially when you've got uh, two or three backups on the line as it is. Uh, a lot of kudos have to go to Matt Haggerty. Just an absolutely impressive game. Coming in for a veteran center, who played the whole year, and plays really lights out. I, I, it was almost as though, I mean, there were a couple moments where he, he did kind of get exposed, but overall, in sort of the grand scheme of things, he played very, very well. Uh, I think it's it sort of, uh, a lot of kudos has to go to the coaching staff for really putting our offensive line depth in a way that we really don't uh, suffer when, when one of our linemen goes down, that we're really able to replace him with someone that can do just as much or uh, the equivalent uh, of, of the responsibility and job. And it's really a team concept when you're looking at that on the line. I think the offensive line, hands down, played their best game of the season. When you've got uh, a running game that is able to achieve that kind of success... Uh, you're going to have uh, a lot of people looking at the offensive line. If you remember Irish fans who watched uh, the 92 Sugar Bowl where, where, where Notre Dame beat Florida, uh, the whole time those uh, the 
commentators are talking about how the MVP was the offensive line. The MVP was the offensive line because Notre Dame ran the ball so well that game. You really kind of saw that yesterday. You saw players lining up, whether it was Fulston, whether it was uh, McDaniel, and really taking, uh, really taking BYU's defense to the woodshed when it came to gaining yards on the ground. Uh, again, we're talking... 235 yards rushing. I, for someone who has pretty much accepted the fact that Brian Kelly is going to be a, a pass-to-set-up-the-run kind of coach, that astounds me, and that just really goes uh, goes to a lot of kudos for the offensive line. I thought they played absolutely excellent yesterday. Yeah, the run blocking against BYU has been pretty good the past two years. I think that's over 500 yards rushing past two games. Um, their pass protection has just been absurd. Um, I one think Tommy quarterback hurry for BYU in the game, and that's it. That's just insane. Tommy Rees has to be one of the most upright quarterbacks uh, so far this season in terms of overall hurries and knockdowns and sacks. Uh, and again, like you said, it's, uh, the way that our offensive line has been able to protect him has been... Nothing short of astounding. Yeah, and they really kept Kyle Van Noy in check as well, the outstanding outside linebacker for BYU. He finishes with one solo tackle, one assisted tackle, and pretty much you know, didn't do anything in the game, didn't have an impact at all. Um, but I would say an interesting stat from this game is BYU's two lean tacklers, uh, if I can pronounce this right, Uana Unga had 19 tackles, and Craig Bills had 15 tackles, so that's a lot of tackles for those two players. Uh, let's transition to the, the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the defensive line banged up, as many of us know. Uh, Lewis Nix done for the season with his meniscus surgery. Um, enter Jaron Jones, who played phenomenally well in this game. Um, he finishes his day with seven tackles. Um, he blocked a field goal. He had a quarterback hurry. A couple really just strong, violent tackles, which everyone's been waiting to see out of him. What do you think of the defensive line overall? And maybe you can throw the cat linebackers in there as well. Just focusing for a second right on um, on Jerron Jones, he really has to be, uh, to me, the defensive MVP of yesterday. When you're talking about a guy who wasn't even in the two deep at the beginning of the season, and coming in, in the final home game of the season and just playing out of his mind. It, it, really, really impressive by him. Um, I also think, though, that, and it, again, it goes without saying, that Jones really uh, benefited from the fact that we had Sheldon Day back. I think that's really the thing that a lot of people aren't focusing on, is that when you've got bookends into it and Day... And I think Tuit really pretty much showed every NFL scout that was at Notre Dame Stadium yesterday, hey, I can do this when it's snowing out too. I can do this when it's sunny out. I can do this in the rain. You, you, can, you can feel comfortable with me. I think he really has acquitted himself well with regards to his draft stock. I hope he comes back, but uh, he, he really sort of pr was just playing out of his mind yesterday. Um, cat linebackers... It, it, they really haven't been the weak spot this year. Um, I thought Shembo played very well. Uh, I thought uh, 
it kind of annoys me when you're looking at the 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 stat lines um, uh, in in the post game stats that I was kept looking for number thirteen trying to find Jalen Smith and they had him as number nine in here so it was kind of confusing, but just in terms of our rushing linebackers I thought they played really well uh, I thought they played you know decent but again when you look at the stat lines that the three guys in the trenches put down. Uh, it, almost equally as impressive as our offensive line performance was the performance of uh, Day Jones into it yesterday. And we thought the inside linebackers played pretty well, uh, especially Jan Fox. BYU did rip off a couple long runs with the running backs. Um, you mentioned Paul Asika, uh, four carries with 101 yards. I think he had two runs of over 40 yards. But uh, for the most part, I thought you know they were winning a lot of those snaps except for a couple of those big plays. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think when you look at, especially Lasica's two 40-yard runs, it really kind of was a fundamental breakdown as more or less, more so than it was a scheme thing. Uh, in fact, on one of the runs, uh, Mathi- poor Matthias Farley just got absolutely, you know, bulldozed. Uh, kind of took a, a decent position on the tackle, too, and still just got flat-out run over. It, when you're when you're built into the team that we are built into and you've got that lead, we've really seen this essentially the whole year out of our defense, that it's a lot of bending but not breaking. And we really haven't seen the overall aggressive defense. I think maybe the most aggressive we've played all year was in the Arizona State game, but even then it was still a lot of... uh, a lot of bending and not breaking, and we still got beat a couple times over the top. But even then, uh, we were still able to do enough defensively to win. And I think it goes without saying that when you look at the stat lines, that our defense did a really good job of keeping everything in front of them. I think when you look at Taysom Hill's stats, when you see that he was able to pretty much only... Let me see what his his passing. He he was. We're talking about maybe averaging at best maybe five or six yards per pass. That really is keeping everything in front of you. And I think our defense did a really good job of that. That not getting beat by the big play. And when the big plays are a couple really long runs on the ground, or your quarterback sort of breaking out of the pocket when you're dropping eight, uh, you're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Um. Just looked it up here. Taysom Hill had 4.7 yards per attempt. That's his second lowest of the season. Um, he had 4.4 in their opener against Virginia, which is probably one of the worst passing performances of the season from any quarterback. He finished 13 of 40 in that game with 175 yards. That's a 32.5 completion percentage. And it goes without mentioning, in that game, too, he was basically playing in a rainstorm in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. And you're... You, the, the elements, again, really played a role. I, I, it, again, it goes without mentioning that you, I, I credit the Elkhart Truth for, for writing this on, on their uh, sports blog uh, and, and claim no credit of my own of saying this, that I think not only did the seniors graduate yesterday, I think our, our field did. Because when, <laughs> when you look at the quality of the field, uh, we're going to have to do something in the offseason because that... Uh, we're talking, you know, it, it was rough out there. When T.J. Jones mentioned uh, in, in the post-game uh, 
to talk with reporters about how you really didn't know what you were gonna, what your next step was gonna, what was gonna happen, whether you were gonna slide three feet. You you saw that our, our running backs really had a lot of trouble on stretch play, sort of breaking off the sideline run and cutting up field because they were slipping on the ground. Even Taysom Hill really was tentative out there when he broke out of the pocket because he slid a couple times really early in the game and really seemed unsure of himself uh, after that. Even Nick Martin's injury. Nick Martin's injury happened because Cam McDaniel got the handoff, slipped, fell forward right into Nick Martin's knee. So it, it, anything can happen. It sort of the goes with the any given Sunday thing. But when you talk about something that could could be in, entirely preventable, uh, it, it is something that you sort of have to realistically look at. But again, uh, in in sort of the the kind of the the big picture here. Uh, our defense uh, really was able to take advantage of what BYU was giving them. A really, really uh, sound game plan by Diaco. I do have to give him some credit for that. Yeah, I don't think BYU attempted or completed a pass more than 10 yards downfield, and I thought that the same thing kind of happened in the Pittsburgh game. Um, their long pass play, I think maybe that was caught 15 yards downfield and then Farley missed a tackle and it went in for whatever it was, 60 yards or so. But the past two games especially, the the opponent has really been just, you know, five-yard dumps offs and eight-yard dump offs. They really haven't been testing the, the team deep at all. And, you know, that's obviously, like you said, um, Jacko's scheme. Um, let's talk about those safeties. Um, Eller Hardy started this game with Austin Collinsworth I don't think any of us thought that that would be a starting lineup at safety at any point in 2013. Um, Hardy finishes with a career-high eight tackles. He now has a surprising 25 tackles this season, probably playing the second half of the, the season, um, the last five or six games or so. Um, Collinsworth finishes with three tackles. Farley and Shumay also finish with three tackles. Um, I think we're all in agreement that this is probably the biggest problem area on the entire Notre Dame roster um, kind of give me what your what do you think your thoughts are um, moving forward with this position? Um, you know, is there anything that's going to happen this year? Are we going to have to wait till next year to see anything change? Um, we have a lot of bodies um, that are going to be vying for uh, those two or three spots. You know, Brody's coming back from injury. Probably going to see Max Redfield inserting his name to the end of the fray next year. He also finished with three tackles as well. Um, probably some of those were on special teams, but uh, let's talk about the safety play. What do you think, Paul? Well, there were good things and bad things. I, I think when you look at the... We, we've come to know and we've come to expect a lot of things out of our safeties. We've come to expect that they're probably not going to play to the level that, that we really would want them to. Uh, in some cases, uh, we're going to see a lot of positional breakdowns. We're going to see a lot of communication breakdowns. But there were some good spots. I, I, I'm with you. I would not have envisioned at all one bit that we would have seen, especially this season anyway, or maybe even ever, a, a starting duo of Hardy and Collinsworth. But again, it's one of those things where you've got a player uh, like Jerron Jones, like Elliot Hardy, who are called to step up, be the next man in, 
come in and play. And I've just been looking all year for a safety to really jump the running game of the opposing team. And for the first time all year, I really saw that out of Hardy. Hardy was flying to the ball every time they ran the ball. And, and, and I do give him a lot of the credit, uh, again, also along with our, our middle linebacking core, but when you look at, at BYU's uh, ability to run the football outside of Lasica, outside of Taysom Hill, you know, Jamal Williams, 18 carries, 44 yards. You know, that is a lot in part due to trench play, but it's also in part due to guys flying to the football. When you've got uh, a safety that is able to fill that gap uh, and, and, and basically prevent... Uh, teams from breaking off long runs, it's something to hang your hat on. And I thought Hardy really acquitted himself well. Um, I, 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 I mean, poor Matthias Farley. I, again, like I said, just getting run over by Lasica on the on the one run and on the other 40-yard run. I think he did play some sort of role in that. Uh, Collinsworth did have the interception, um, but otherwise, not really the most memorable performance uh, by him uh, that I can remember. He didn't really play that bad, uh, didn't play that great either when you're talking about uh, three tackles, but all three of them were assisted, so he never really engaged anyone on his own. He just sort of probably finished off tackles. Um, yeah, he did drop an interception on that one drive, and then he got smoked down at the goal line on that same that drive. That is true. That is true, especially tough, on the, uh, on the, series on the slant. Him. And and it just sort of goes to show you that there, there's going to be a very, very, very uh, interesting competition at that position. I think it's going to be one of those positions, along with running back, that people should keep their eye out on. Uh, maybe not necessarily into the spring, uh, but definitely once fall starts, because you've got a lot of bodies, but unlike running back where we sort of seen guys step up and, and and take on the responsibility. I'm not entirely sure we've seen that yet on a consistent basis out of any of our safeties. So absolutely, when we're talking about somebody like Max Redfield, who's as highly rated as he was coming in, you've got to really take a look and see uh what kind of uh, what what kind of impact can you create back there without it being a liability? And it really has been the unit all year that has been a liability for us. And it not really necessarily in getting beat deep. I, when you talk about Diaco's game plan of keeping everything in front of him, there's really not that much asked of our safeties. And even then, they're still not executing. Uh, performing to the level we want them to, however way you want to spin it. There's got to be something's got to give. There's got to be a pushback somewhere. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know whether we're going to move some players around. Uh, whether we may see some of these guys uh, uh, take on different roles in the defense. I don't know. Um, but you've got players coming back, like you said, like Barati. You've got players like Redfield who have done his time on on special teams. It's going to be a very, very interesting position to look at. It's the one I'm looking for uh, the most uh, going into the spring, especially in the into the fall for next season. You have to think someone's probably going to move to uh, that dog outside linebacker position. Absolutely. Um, you know, just, I'm assuming Brody's going to be okay for the spring, and that's going to have six safeties, all of whom have played pretty decent minutes in their careers. Um, that's a ton of bodies for two safety spots. 
and uh, you know, fast forwarding to the fall, like you said, which when it's really going to heat up. I mean, I can't even imagine someone like Juju Smith coming in. You know, even more highly rated than Max Redfield, and you know, what would they do with someone like that who? Probably is going to demand some playing time of his own, but you almost have to play him in that case. But it really is one of those things where I think when you look at somebody like Hardy, why did Hardy start? Well, maybe Hardy showed on tape that he and, and in practice that he was good against the run, and they knew that Hill was a threat on his legs. Well, maybe then Hardy becomes that guy to move down. But he played so well yesterday. I don't know how you can't keep him out of the equation. I mean, you can't just take guys away for 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 performing well you you typically want to move guys who are who are liabilities but like you said i mean it is it, it is at the point where the position and 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 the level of talent that we have coming in the level of talent that we have coming back it really is one of those things that the coaching staff is going to have to take a step back and examine and say how are we going to gain the maximum potential that we have out of these guys. What can we do? Yep, and with the council injury, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I'm just going to throw a guess out there. I think they're going to move Shoemate to dog linebacker in the spring. I don't know if that'll stick or not, but we'll see. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, um, 1 being not at all and 10 being just outrageous amounts, how much of a boss do you think Kyle Burns is? Uh Fourteen point seven. Uh, when you talk about his quote, when they were talking, uh, when they interviewed him after the game, uh, his fifty-yard field goal. I mean, granted, he had the wind at his back, but it was swirling in the snow, slick field, and Kelly calls punt, and Brinza says, "What are you doing? I, I told you guys I'm in my range." It's like, oh, do you, do you really want to kick the field goal? Yeah, I want to kick the field goal. And they sent him out there, and he drilled it. I mean, he probably could have made it from, I don't know, 56 or 57 based on based on the, the, the trajectory that he had it going in. Um, again, it's one of those guys where confidence, especially in the kicking game, and I, I think uh, our special teams blogger would, would would be able to to testify to this more so, when you've got confidence, when you've got a kicker that believes he's going to make it. Half of kicking is mental. Uh, it, when when you can when you can see the ball, when you can see where you want to place it, where you can see where you're stepping, that you know it it it, it pays a lot of dividends. And Brinza played extremely well. I th I think the only thing I knock him for yesterday was that sort of fat punt that he had in the fourth quarter. I mean, he had the wind at his back and he still hit it really fat when we were pinned pretty deep in our zone. Uh, but the defense uh, pretty much bailed him out there. It, it's our, when you've got a kicker that you can rely on, uh, especially when you've got one that in the weather that that is pretty much the norm for Notre Dame in in the month of November, that you can rely on a kicker like that to hit a 51-yard field goal. That's exactly the kind of player that you want for this team, for this university. At that time, uh, the just the sheer amount of confidence that he eclipses uh, is 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 frankly impressive. Um, he also moved to fifth in school history uh, in in his career field goals. I think when it's all said and done, uh, after uh, next season, Brinza may go down as one of the best kickers in Notre Dame history. 
Uh, and I think one of these games, this game uh, yesterday is going to be one of those games where when they're when you're writing uh, the senior day biography uh, of of a player like Kyle Brenza, they're going to note that in the snow, in the wind, he drilled a 51-yard field goal that pretty much sealed the game. I saw this on Twitter. Um, I think after right after the game, and I don't I don't know if this is true or not, but. Um, the person said that um, Brinson's missed one kick in the fourth quarter in his career. That was against Temple earlier this year. Besides that, he's 12 for 12 in the fourth quarter. So that's just amazing. He's so clutch. It's If that's true, I agree completely. Let me tell you, the one thing that sort of floored me is when I was going over uh, the postgame notes, um, the one I saw, this was the first game since the 92 snowball at Penn State where snow actually fell during the contest. Now, I remember when I was on campus uh, in 05 and 06, I remember it rained during a game, but I don't remember it snowing. So I, I'm, I'm going to take their, their word for it that... Um, that think about that since the 92 snowball one of the most memorable games in Notre Dame history that snow fell and it was that was the last game that that happened as from yesterday and in those games the Irish are 13-1 and 3 all time in games where it snows during the contest and the last time they lost was in 1895 when Grover Cleveland was president that i think is impressive so it must not have snowed during that 2008 game against Syracuse, but it did snow prior to the game. It must have, yeah. I don't. I, and it, it's it's when I saw that stat or when I saw that uh, that, that statistic, I was like, really? Because I remember I remember it snowing since then, but it must have not snowed, I guess, during the game. I, yeah. To to the point where we sort of saw it like it did yesterday. Yeah, I don't remember really seeing any snow on the field for that Syracuse game, so they could probably be right with that. Um, all right, we got the Stanford Cardinal coming up this weekend, making a trip out to Palo Alto. Um, Stanford comes off an absolute beating of California. Um, they win 63-13. to That's a season high for the Stanford Cardinal. Um, they racked up 603 yards, 8.61 yards per play. Um, those are both season high as well. California, I don't know what what's going on out there. They finished their season already. They're done. They're one and eleven. That's probably one of the worst two or three teams in their program history. Um, Paul, the Irish, I saw already. Are they fourteen and a half point underdogs in this game? Does that feel high or low? Do you think they're going to cover, or do you think they're going to straight up win this game? After yesterday, you got to have some confidence, and I think. Uh, the more and more you look at what Stanford has been able to put together, it it's kind of been a lot of unknowns because you're talking about teams uh, that they've beaten over the course of the season that have kind of been exposed in other games. And really, uh, to me, the only game that really stands out uh, just overly impressive to me has been... Um, Really has been their game against Arizona State when you're when you're talking about a, a team that that the Irish beat that uh, Stanford really took to the woodshed, beating by almost 20 points. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, will Notre Dame be able to uh, withstand uh, Stanford's defense? Uh, will they be able to control 
uh, Ty Montgomery. I don't know. Uh, I there's a lot of things that uh, we really haven't seen uh, per se out of uh, Stanford, uh, especially at home, that has given me any reason to believe that Notre Dame would have a shot. Though uh, their two losses this season have both been on the road. Uh, they've both been very close. Uh, they've typically pretty much demolished every team that they've played at home. Uh, if they haven't demolished them, they've really kind of played them to the point where uh, they took them out of the game. I, I think the two Oregons were their closest games at home, Oregon State and Oregon. Even then, they beat both of them, and both of them were ranked at the time. It's It's one of those teams that is really strong on both sides of the ball that it's very difficult to see Notre Dame having a path to win. Could they win? Certainly. I just don't think that being able to defeat a team like Stanford at home is is an easy task. I hope the Irish are able to put together a, a game plan that really capitalizes on that. I, I hope that they're able to build on the running game, uh, but Stanford is pretty stout against the run. When you're talking about a team just defending the run uh, overall uh, defensively on the course of the season. They're just they're just a, a brutal team to, to try and really do anything offensively against. So it, I think I think logic would seem to indicate that 14 points is probably a fair assessment. The Irish could theoretically cover, but if I'm not mistaken, Two years ago, when we played Stanford, this was the game where Rees got knocked out pretty early, and Hendricks came in and actually didn't do too badly. Um, it, it's so it's going to be very interesting to see if Tommy Rees, if he does put, put together sort of a complete game against Stanford. This actually may be, uh, if I if if sort of I remember correctly, this may be one of the first games. Uh, Basically, I think that Rees may have played a complete game against Stanford. I I don't remember uh, 2010, but uh, 2012 was pretty much Golson and Rees came in right at the end when Golson got it got his concussion, uh, and Rees played into overtime. 2011, he got injured and was out. So it, it's it's very uh, it's going to be interesting to see Rees's performance. I don't n- entirely think that Notre Dame. Um, you, you realistically, you got to figure that they don't have a shot, but you know anything can happen. Certainly, anything can happen. Yeah, that 2010 game was all Dane Christ, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, that was the game where uh, their fullback scored, and then we turned right around and Chris threw the interception to the fullback, and uh, he took it in for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a struggle to run the ball against them. In recent years, um, that 2010 game, he only had 44 yards. Um, 2011, which is the last time at Stanford, um, had 57 yards and 31 carries. Um, I want to say there might be some a good amount of sack yardage in that, but still. Um, and last year, um, with a lot of help from Golson, if I remember correctly, I think he had you know three or four pretty big runs against them. The Irish had. Um, 150 yards on 44 carries, um, which is, you know, that's pretty good um, given Stanford's dominance and run defense, but that's still only 3.41 yards per carry. So um, their def- their run defense has been really stout this year. Um, they're only giving up 2.97 yards per carry, only six touchdowns on the season. And um, they haven't given up any, 
no teams have run for over 100 yards on them in their last six games, five games here, excuse me. So, um, you know, I don't think, especially after this game against BYU, I think everyone's going to want us to pound the ball and, you know, a lot of two tight end sets and do some play action off of that. But uh, I think we might see a, a game plan a lot more similar to the Michigan State game. Um, you know, those these defenses are very similar. Um and I think you can exploit that Stanford secondary a little bit. So hopefully Reese plays well, and uh, maybe that'll open up things for the running game. I know some of the people want the uh, offense to operate the other way, but I'm not sure you can do that right now with a with Reese at quarterback. So we'll see what happens. Especially when you when you look at Stanford's sort of rush defense, it's one of the best in the country. I think they're in the top five. So I, I'm I'm with you. I think if you're going to see a lot of sort of intermittent passes, I think you're going to try and see us beat Stanford deep. Uh, I you're not going. I don't think Irish fans are going to like it. I think if we lose, people kind of may, you know, wag the finger and say we ran the ball so well against BYU. Why didn't we run the ball against Stanford? Well, it's because Stanford's allowing you know 88 rushing yards a game or something like that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. That it's it's going to be a a sort of I think pass focused uh, uh, game plan that we may end up seeing. Uh, but it's it's one that is almost necessary given Stanford's ability on defense, protecting the run anyway. Well, the good thing is the Irish gained some momentum with this big win against BYU. Um, they pick up their eighth win. Um, you know, I think we're kind of trending towards a loss here on oh, on this weekend against Stanford. But uh, anything can happen, and uh, you know, I think it would be really huge if this program could beat Stanford. Uh, I think that would really you know, not only give the team a lot of momentum into the bowl season recruiting, but uh, kind of change the way we've looked at this season and maybe even the way we looked at Tommy Reese's season uh, and his career as well. Uh, before we get out of here, Paul, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, only that I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think if we do end up uh, beating Stanford this weekend, it may actually be one of Brian Kelly's biggest wins uh, as, as the Irish coach, and that's even taking in last year's 12-0 regular season record into account, uh, that including uh, the victory against Stanford last year. Uh, it's it's going to be a very tough game. I think uh, you saw a lot of attrition uh, with regards to teams this weekend, uh, especially in the Pac-12 with Oregon sort of falling apart, that Stanford's really positioned themselves very well. But it's essentially the game. This game for Saturday means nothing to them. They can't make the national championship game, or if they do, they have one of the most remote outside uh, shots uh, to get into it. Um, they're essentially already in the Pac-12 championship. You can make the argument that they've pretty much won the Pac-12 championship. That we're going to uh, theoretically see a team that doesn't necessarily have a lot to play for, except you know, revenge from the season, from a season ago. Uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't like Notre Dame's chances. Uh, I, I hope to see uh, the effort uh, on uh, next Saturday that we put together yesterday, and we'll just have to buckle our seatbelts and wait for, uh, for, for next Saturday, and then uh, my favorite part of uh, the year, uh, college bowl season. <laughs> Probably my least favorite part of the entire season. Um, that'll wrap up episode 18. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I want to remind everyone to go on iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, leave reviews, and uh, we'll see you on the site this week as we prep for Stanford. Take care.